You're listening to STEMcast, brought to you by McGill iGem. Professor Adelstein Brown is presently the Dean of the Dalalana, the School for Public Health at the University of Toronto. He got his bachelor's degree from Harvard University and did his PhD at Oxford, where he was a Rhodes Scholar. He was the co-chair of the COVID-19 Advisory Board in Ontario and has held many senior leadership roles in health policy. Among his research interests include outcome assessment in healthcare, equity in healthcare, and health policy. Please welcome Steiny Brown to STEMcast. Could you tell us a little bit about how you became to be the Dean of the Dalalana and what drew you to pursue public health? Sure. So maybe it's a little easier to answer the second question first. You know, the, the kind of really exciting bit about public health is that you're helping people get healthier, but it's a million people at a time, right? It's interventions that really sort of work at that population level. And I think the other thing that's kind of exciting about it is it's not just, you know, helping people get healthier. You're actually kind of leveling everything up. You get In public health, you get a very explicit, strong focus on equity. And when you work in a population, you can kind of lift folks up, right? But actually level up as well so that things are a lot better. How did I get to be the dean? So no kid ever dreams uh, of being a dean of a school. It's probably the least exciting career that you can kind of uh, play at when you're a child. I became the dean because I'm really excited about the school. Uh, I'm really excited about my colleagues. And the nice thing I get to do is spend a lot of my day working with them, figuring out how to kind of help them, figuring out what kind of support we can put behind it and, you know, helping coordinate stuff a little bit so that they get to do really exciting things and our students get to do really exciting things. Awesome. What were, I'm curious, what were some of the kind of challenges or opportunities that led you to kind of getting involved in public health and interested in the first place? Sure. So I actually probably got interested off, you know, the first time when I was working in New York. I was really interested uh, when I was in college, like uh, both of you, I got really interested in things like urban design and urban planning. Uh, and I actually went to work for the city of New York one uh, one summer. Uh, and this was, you know, before places like East Harlem had really gentrified. And you, the place I used to work used to have um, apartments in terrible, terrible condition. You know, folks really struggling, you know, often you know, quite heroically to just kind of make ends meet and have a place to live. Uh, what my job was, was to kind of help move those uh, buildings that were particularly hard hit into renovation and redevelopment so that we could have good housing for folks. Uh, but the thing that struck me as I worked there was just how much sort of ill health things, right? Uh, inequity and ill health travel together. And so I started to get really interested in why folks were unhealthy uh, and what you could actually do about it. I went away to graduate school and I got the chance to work uh, for my uh, doctorate on how we understand whether or not health systems are doing well and how we understand whether or not they're both performing well, but they're performing in an equitable way. Uh, That got me even more excited. Uh, And then my career kind of took me in and out of the private sector and in and out of government here in Canada uh, and just reinforced every time that sort of kind of excitement about being able to kind of work in public health. What were the challenges? So, you know, there's a lot of challenges working in public health, but they're, you know, interesting kind of compelling challenges. You have to figure out how you measure things at scale, right? Uh, For people like me, I like to know whether or not a population is getting healthy uh, or whether or not people are getting the care they think they need in the hospitals or from their doctors. Although we're surrounded by a lot of data, often you have to be very creative in how you use that data to get that sort of reflection or view of what it is that you're trying to study. So data is a constant challenge. 
uh, although we're getting better and better and, you know, the new data science techniques are, are remarkable in sort of their ability to, to sort stuff out. Uh, you're, you're always, public health is an applied science. So you not only kind of want to find out something interesting, you also got to make sure it's applied. Uh, and that's really challenging because often you're changing behavior or you're changing a policy. Uh, and that's not something that is easy to do. And it's not something you really kind of can go to school for, right? Um, I actually have a question about, so you talked a little bit about measurement and you said there are different ways you can quantify markers of public health. You need to pay a lot of close attention to the data. In terms of research, what's a key area of public health you're exploring right now? And how does data come to play into all kinds of public health research? Sure. So those are two, um, you know, really important questions. They're, they're kind of separate questions. Let me start with kind of what I'm focusing on right now. I'm really interested in sort of two or three lines of work. Uh, the first is uh, how you actually make sure that the insights you develop as a public health researcher or a public health practitioner actually affect policy. Uh, and I think sometimes we feel you can do this all through social media or, you know, it just requires some advocacy. Or uh, I think, you know, one of the most unfair things is we often say is, oh, if, you know, people in charge would just make the right decisions. And there's never kind of that easy sort of line to change. And so I'm really interested in looking at that. Uh, the second thing I'm working away on, which I find fascinating, but probably most people would find really, really boring, is how we understand uh, all the kind of intangible things uh, like software or training a group of doctors and nurses in quality improvement. Those, those sorts of investments, how do they actually translate uh, into improvements in our health system? And although it sounds maybe simple, there's actually a lot of interesting questions on how you measure what the value of a piece of software is or how much are you really paying when you're training people in quality improvement and how do you link those we call them intangible investments to the actual sort of tangible improvements that we want to see in a system like efficiency or uh, better healthcare access or better health outcomes. And so I'm, I'm working a lot on that. I've got some students working with me this year on that. Uh, and finally, I'm really interested in uh, actually healthy behavior. And I'm starting up some uh, new work where we're trying to figure out how you help people start and stick uh, when you don't have all that control of your lifestyle, right? It's great when you see Chris Hemsworth talk about how he's staying healthy and he does a phenomenal job at it. It's inspiring. Or you see, you know, uh, The Rock or Dwayne Johnson, you know, talking about what he's doing to stay fit and, and they're in remarkable physical shape. But as you know, even as they both say, that's their job, right? That's not what, you know, I can do on a daily basis because I want to see my kids. I got to go to work. I you know, got to put dinner on the table. Uh, it's not something that probably either of you can, right? You've got your studies. You've got uh, this sort of podcast. You don't have that type of control over your life. And very few people have the types of resources these folks have to have their own chef or have their own nutritionist. So we're kind of trying to figure out what are, I don't want to call them the low cost ways. I think it's really the very practical useful ways that almost anyone can kind of start and stick at being healthy. That's really interesting. I think that can have a lot of impact in terms of public health because it is a really big issue. And I guess that kind of leads a little into the next question I had was, how is this education, I guess, that students get through experience in public health unique? And how does this actually help in thinking of these new ideas and actually implementing this real world shifts that we want to see. Sure. So, you know, when we talk about public health, uh, we're really talking about the area of impact. We're not talking about the discipline, right? 
And so when you go and you you get a degree in English, you're learning about English, right? It's the, the discipline is English and you're studying English. In public health, actually, you're learning any number of different techniques. So we teach health informatics, uh, you know, understanding how to use uh, technology and in particular information management technology to make hospitals run better or inform policy. Uh, we teach health administration. How do you run a hospital? How do you run an integrated health system? Uh, how do you be a deputy minister in the Ministry of Health? Uh, we teach epidemiology, which is, you know, the classic science of studying how diseases are spread and how they move through populations. Uh, we teach health policy. Uh, we actually teach uh, leadership uh, relevant to health systems. Uh, we teach uh, critical social theory. Like how do you understand uh, the impact of the ways that we construct society on health? Uh, and we teach Indigenous health. We actually have a new program starting in Black health. So these are all the different types of education you can get in public health. And I think, you know, it's what draws everyone into that is this desire to see folks uh, being healthier, to see our healthcare system being more sustainable and uh, being more just. Uh, but there's any number of different sort of tools and techniques you can learn to do that. And it's, you can think about a sort of an enormous, um, it's probably hard to think about like an enormous factory, but there's all sorts of folks doing different things. Uh, and we help them learn how to do those different things. Right. Um, I'm going to ask a little bit about healthcare outcomes and, you know, going back to quantifying data, going back to this idea that we have where yeah. certain things or certain avenues are not always accessible to people. Um, you know, you've done a lot of research in healthcare outcomes and you seem to be doing a lot of research now. There are a lot of big healthcare issues and causes of preventable deaths that are like problems in practicality. So people live in food deserts and they can't get good nutrition. There are not enough beds or ventilators in a hospital. And these are all very practical issues. You know, in your opinion, what are some of the biggest policy and management issues in Canadian hospitals right now and what is being done to handle them? Yeah, okay. So let's let's talk about hospitals because that's a useful focus. It's an, uh, an easier focus. So I think sometimes we say, oh, you know, there's not enough beds and there's not enough ventilators. We're actually pretty good at making ventilators quickly. And we made a lot of ventilators even in Ontario during the pandemic. What we really are missing are doctors, nurses, therapists, the types of folks who are, uh, you know, who actually make sure that care happens, right? It's still very much a people business. It's not a bed and a ventilator business. So one of the biggest challenges facing folks is the absence of the staff. You can build a hospital, that you can do relatively quickly. You can build a ventilator, that you can do like that, but it takes a long time to train a nurse, it takes a long time to train a therapist, and it takes an even longer time to train a physician. And so that's that's one of the big gaps. Um, you know, we have, I think, um, other challenges around uh, probably uh, a system that was built, you know, during the 80s and the 90s, uh, really trying to cope with uh, a population that's continued to age and has very different needs. Uh, you know, our whole health system evolved, you know, this nice universal health system we have, it evolved at a time when it was really about whether or not you could get to the, you could get to the doctor or you could get to the hospital. And so, you know, if you pull out your provincial health insurance card, that'll get you to a doctor or a hospital anytime you need it, right? But nowadays, what about drugs? There's huge problems in folks accessing drugs. And you, you can't sort of imagine, you can't pretend that when you see the doctor, it's going to be okay. When the doctor writes your prescription, you've got to be able to fill it, right? We know there's millions of Canadians who are not filling their prescriptions. 
or they're splitting their pills in half to make them last longer because they don't have the money for the prescription, or they're skipping days. Uh, and particularly now we face chronic disease where medications are a huge part of that. You're even thinking about something as simple and as we think as fundamental as insulin. There's people who are skipping what they need that way, and that's just going to lead to bad uh, health outcomes. But I, you know, I think there's a, a more profound issue as well around the sustainability of our system as well, and that's um, the lack of integration of our system. There's sort of an iron law when you study health systems that where you make the investment isn't where you get the payoff. So let's think about a, a patient with diabetes, right, or any sort of chronic disease. Their family doctor could spend a lot of time with them, make sure that their diabetes is well controlled, make sure it's well controlled, do all the preventive care that you know happens in that uh, office in the community somewhere. And that diabetic patient is healthy. They don't get uh, the acute complications of diabetes. Hopefully they dodge the chronic complications of diabetes. But the payoff isn't in the family doctor's office, right? The payoff is in the hospital because they don't show up in the emergency department. Uh, they don't show up for surgery. They don't show up for any types of intense and acute care. And it's it's a great payoff. Like that sort of preventive care really does pay off. But when the parts of the system are separated, you always underinvest in the thing that is going to give you that payoff, right? Because you're just constantly dealing with the inflow of patients. You can't reassign the money to where it needs to be. And what you see now, um, you see some examples uh, in the United States, you see some examples uh, in uh, the United Kingdom, you see few little examples here in Canada. Um, when people actually integrate the care around the patient, you see much better outcomes and you see a more sustainable care. And it's when I talk about care, I'm talking not only about your primary care, I'm even talking about things like housing, right? Uh, and you can actually see now some of the leading health systems uh, going and building housing or providing rent subsidies because they know it's going to pay off in lower emergency departments. They know it's going to pay off uh, in much better health outcomes overall. And so, you know, that sort of whole integrated focus on population uh, health can be quite powerful. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting as people start to kind of realize this, you can see uh, even the University Health Network, uh, which is our, you know, one of our most advanced hospitals, not just in Canada, but in North America, they're now actually building some subsidized housing. There's a, a young researcher uh, at our school who also works at the University Health Network named Andrew Brizari. And he's actually been working with them to see the value of this. And it's remarkable to see sort of this um, pillar of high technology medicine now actually building uh, low cost affordable housing that will actually have a, a series of community-based services around it because uh, they see the value of it. Uh, and so I think the more you can integrate the system, fundamentally, the more sustainable a system you're going to get. And it's going to be a lot better for people as they don't have to run from place to place. They don't have to keep on giving all their information. They uh, don't have to kind of wonder how they, uh, you know, avoid falling through the cracks in our system. It'll be a much better system, you know, even in terms of the experience. Really interesting. You touched a little on the separation of the healthcare system. I want to dive into that a bit more as students who are working in research trying to figure out novel diagnostic methods like test reaps for disease diagnosis or easy ways we can actually get accessible new therapeutics out to market in terms of health policy what are some of the most important considerations for researchers 
and startups and people working in public policy and developing these new technologies in health and medicine? And how can we consider, I guess, integrating biotech or this research to try to maximize payoffs, like avoiding the hospital or having these preventative medicines? So, you know, there's, um, I think there's probably a couple, three things that are important to keep in mind. So new technology is fantastic, but it has to be easy to use, right? Particularly now, as we're starting to see this really remarkable shift away from the technology you know, being used in the hospital, to the technology being used in the community, and even things that people can use on their own. And so it needs to be simple. This is one of the challenges in the early days um, of COVID, uh, trying to teach people how to swab, right? If they're going to swab and self-test at home, how do you do that? And that's it's not necessarily an easy thing. Uh, even masks, right? Making sure people know how to use a mask uh, appropriately. And so those are very simple technologies. When you get to more sophisticated and potentially very powerful things, it has to be easy to use. Likewise, you know, it, it even needs to be easy for a physician who's coping with nine, nine different things every sort of minute to be able to integrate into their practice. Uh, and so ease of use, I think, is really important. Uh, and you're starting to see technologies really have that sort of design focus so that they're uh, they're useful. Um, I think the second thing, it, it's less about uh, the actual technology. It's more about the process. You need to have almost a radical approach to transparency, right? We want people to be able to trust these technologies. We want people to be able to understand how they work and how they don't work. And so I think being very transparent about effectiveness data, uh, being very uh, good about making sure there's strong, in, excuse me, independent evaluations. Uh, when we try to hide stuff or we don't focus on that transparency, bad stuff happens. You know, think about the whole Theranos tobacco, right? With a lot more transparency, that never would have gotten to the place it was. Uh, obviously, right. need different governance as well, but, you know, more transparency. And, and I think that builds trust. Um, the other thing is kind of understanding where you are in the uh, really kind of the value chain, right? And so, you know, we talk about this problem with integration. If you're looking to folks to do something in one sector, but it's not going to pay off in that sector, you're going to have to find out how you start to pilot or test it in those integrated systems that actually will see the value in it, right? And so it's it's a little bit of, you know, first off, you know, there's the technology and the design side of make sure it's easy to use. There's the way you kind of evaluate and develop that stresses transparency. I think that's really critical. Uh, although, you know, I understand there's issues around patents and other things. Uh, and then there's that other sort of issue, but really kind of understanding where it fits in the system. And if it's one of these things, it's great, but, it, you know, it, you, you do it in one place, but it pays off in another. You're going to have to do your, uh, your testing, your evaluation or make sure your early adopters are those systems that really see the benefit of that. So they'll pull it up and start to give a good uh, a good use case for the technology. Yeah, those are all really important considerations, especially when, you know, I think research and biotech and even just clinician research can be really detached from the actual patient experience in a lot of ways and the experience that people have when they're yeah. trying to go and get test strips from the drugstore. It's really important to consider all those things. It is 10.30. Um, I do realize you have to go. Um, but thank you so much for having us. And it was excellent to see you today. Great. Thank you for inviting us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah thank you so much.